Good morning. If you've got a Bible, you can turn it to um, a book called Acts in the New Testament. If you're visiting us, we're working through um, really um, what is uh, an account of the early church after um, uh, Jesus has uh, lived, died, uh, been resurrected, um, gone to heaven, and, and his earthly ministry has ended. But actually, Acts is almost like the continuation of his ministry in a heavenly sense um, as the early church is born and moves out from um, one city in the Middle East out into the entire known world. Um, and so we are in Acts chapter 20. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn it to Acts chapter 20, and we're going to go from verse 13. And what we found um, recently, as we've been going through Acts, is a shift from Peter and Jesus' close followers and the city of Jerusalem, really out into um, a guy called Paul, who we met a few weeks ago, and uh, his journeys around the Mediterranean, starting churches in lots of different places. Paul was this guy who persecuted Christians. He hated Christians. He thought he was doing God's work by having them arrested and killed. Um, and he wonderfully meets Jesus, powerfully meets Jesus and is changed. Um, and, and one of the places that he started um, a church and saw a church grow, a church community develop, is a place called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And uh, he was here for three years, we know, as we re- read in the chapter before this. And the narrative in this bit of the Acts also changes as well. It also changes from talking about Luke talking about what had happened to people, and now he starts talking about we. He's saying, I was directly there, I was in the action. So Luke's saying, Luke who's writing Acts is saying we, and we'll notice that this morning as we read it. So Paul is in a place called Miletus, um, which you can still visit today. Has anyone visited Miletus? There's some... Uh, um, and you can go visit Miletus today. Uh, still, the ruins. I'm assuming they're ruins. Yep. Um, it's in modern-day Turkey, kind of just south of Ephesus. And, and so he's there, and he calls for the elders to come down from Ephesus to come and see him. And he's got some farewell words to the leaders of this uh, Ephesian church. This is his kind of farewell message to them. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, saying goodbye can sometimes be hard, can't it? If people kind of move away or move to a different country, sometimes that's made a little bit easier by things like Skype or FaceTime um, or travel just makes it a little bit easier. If someone moves a long way, you can go and visit them. Um, Culturally, saying goodbye can be different in different uh, settings. So when I'm... If I go and stay at someone's house, I am... am, uh, unapologetically English. I'm kind of there as I'm leaving going, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for putting up with me. Thank you, thank you so much for feeding me, putting food on. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry to have been an inconvenience. Thank you so much. Here's some flowers. Thank you. I'm just, I'm just sure you're probably just, just waiting to have your house back in order and me out of the way. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And that's, whether you're like me, that's, like, that's what I do. Perhaps if you're perhaps from a Middle Eastern culture or uh, maybe parts of Africa, it's very different. It's very different. Perhaps if you go and stay with someone, 
when it's time to leave, they hide your suitcase. I've heard of this. It happens. Because they don't want you to leave. They hide your stuff. I've even been told that in some cultures, they lock all the doors. So you can't leave. You're going to miss your flight. Um, we're, we're having these doors locked. You're not leaving. You're showing them honour. I'm going to miss my flight. doesn't care. I've locked the doors. You can't leave. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine locking the doors? Yeah, <laughs> Bizarre. <laughs> See, Paul knew that his, God's plan for him was to go to Rome and likely not come back. And it was a journey that would involve difficulty and uh, imprisonment, likely. And although we have his letter that he wrote to the Ephesian church uh, afterwards, he knows these are going to be the final words, the final time I'm going to be able to see these leaders together, my final chance to, to speak to them in person. And he's got some advice to them, to these elders. Elders, if you're visiting here, doesn't mean the old people of the church. It means those that are given authority to lead and to care for the church. They're given responsibility to lead. So let's read this passage this morning, Acts 20, verse, going from verse 13. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us in Assos, we took him aboard and went on to Miletine. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. See, Paul knew if he went to Ephesus now, they're probably going to lock the doors on him. He's probably going to have to stay there a long time because they really want him and have him around. It's not rude, him kind of rushing off. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time when I was with you? From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn from God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. 
Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I've never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It's more blessed to give than to receive. When they'd finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement. They'd never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So we're going to have a look at Paul's final words to these Ephesian leaders. So hopefully if you're a leader here this morning, you'll find this helpful. If you're a leader in kids' work, if you're a leader of a community group, if you're a leader in your workplace, if you're a leader in your family, you will find this helpful. But what if you don't think of yourself as a leader? What if you think, well, I don't have a specific responsibility of of something? Well, actually, so much of leadership is influence, influencing those around you. You might say, well, I'm I'm not leading anything, but chances are you are able to influence those around you, whether it's people at school, whether it's people in work, whether it's people that you meet for coffee, uh, whether it's people you play sports with. Um, You can exercise your influence by keeping your bedroom or your house tidy. It's as simple as that. It really is. That's how we can exercise influence on other people. You can exercise influence by being on time for stuff, being on time for school. It's really easy. And we we all know that we've met people and there's been moments that have influenced us, that have lasted us a lifetime. And it may have only been a short meeting with someone that we still remember a lifetime away. See, you can influence, all of us can influence others. So whilst at first it seems like, well, this is just a message for leaders, it's really, really not. This is a message for everyone. Turn to the person next to you and say, this message is for you. Good, excellent, brilliant. And we're going to pray at the end. There's going to be an opportunity to pray at the end. And I don't want people to just say, well, I'm not a leader. I can't, I can't ask someone to pray with me. We're going to have the ministry team and people can pray. And um, there may be something God's speaking to you about this morning. So four things we can learn. Firstly, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves. Or as other translations put it, be on guard. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Or as the message paraphrase puts it, be on your toes. The, the actual word is prosecco. Not the drink that, that <laughs> middle class people drink to make them feel posh. But it, it, means, it means be aware. Be on guard. Pay attention to yourselves. See, whether you're a leader or not, this is something we can all do. See, leading yourself comes before leading others. If you can't lead yourself, how are you going to lead others? And let's all be honest, that's not always that easy to do, is it? As the uh, American uh, preacher D.L. Moody once famously said, 
I've had more trouble with D.L. Moody than any other man alive. <laughs> See, I, I really think actually in the worship this morning, so much of it was on how we watch ourselves, how we look after ourselves, how we keep pay attention to ourselves and our relationship with God. That really clearly came through in our worship, but God spoke that to us. But listen, while leading ourselves, it kind of takes priority over leading others. It's not like we get, we get, it's not like we have to complete it before we can lead others. It's kind of like an ongoing operation, isn't it? To lead ourselves. See, Paul's telling them to take care of their own spiritual life. It reminds me of the quote that uh, Raj brought to us last week from George Muller. And uh, I put it up on the screen. I'm not going to read it all. Um, but it, it says this. This is George Muller, the, the guy who uh, set up um, orphanages all around uh, the west of England um, in the 1800s. And he said this, According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended is to this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even claim urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme worth and paramount importance that you should seek above all things that your souls are truly happy in God. So true. How are you doing that? Are you growing in prayer? Are you meeting Jesus as you read his word in the Bible? How are you doing it and how you spend your time? in how you use your money or your possessions or the talents that you have? How are you leading yourself in those things? See, so much of leading yourself is about making good decisions. It is, just those everyday decisions that come your way. How are you doing that? And listen, don't think that you're left on your own to do it. Don't think it's just about me. I've just got to work it out myself. No, do you want to grow in prayer? Pray with others. Find some other people to say, will you just kind of spend some, some evenings praying with me? Or, or come to the prayer meeting. And that's how I learned to pray. I went to the prayer meetings with people and learned to pray. Listen, if you're reading the Bible and counting Jesus as you read the Bible, you want to do that more? Join a community group. Go along to a devoted group this week. You'll learn how to do that. It'll help you. You'll you learn how to use your gifts. Why don't you ask a trusted friend? Say, look, what do you think I'm good at? How do you think I could develop in this? See, we can ask each other for help here. Okay, secondly, keep watch over all the flock. See, if English isn't your first language here, flock is like the name for a load of sheep. And leaders are to protect and care for those that they're responsible for, like a sheep protects and cares. Uh, sorry, like a shepherd protects and cares his sheep. And Jesus, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Therefore, therefore, shepherd leadership looks like how Jesus did it. Not putting yourself on a platform, kind of... Um, uh, dividing yourself and be, being distant and uninvolved from others. But actually, Jesus sets the pattern for what shepherd leadership looks like. It says this in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, and leaders serve in order to help the church stay devoted to Jesus and to following him. It's unlikely, maybe not, possi- maybe not impossible though, that the leaders in the, your leaders in this church have to give their lives, literally, but in many nations they may have to. But they give their time, they give their energies. I love how Gavin led us this morning by saying, oh, I want I to think, to think about Jesus being our first love. That's what leaders do, they point us and keep us pointed to Jesus and being devoted to him. Shepherd leaders lead the sheep. We're going this way. And as Gavin said, we're going this way. And, and as Andy brought something as well in the worship, to say, you know, I felt God say this. Leaders say, we're going this way. Come on, come with us. And Paul tells them that shepherd leaders watch out for things or people or ideas that will draw them away from truth. Things that kind of look attractive that look shiny, that feel good, that almost have a sense of, on the surface, they seem good. But actually, they want our attention to be drawn away from following Jesus and put on to this other thing. What might that be in our culture? What might that mean? Well, it might mean many things. One thing might be this. Think, think of that worldview culture that we have in the West where it says that truth can be whatever you want it to be. It can be whatever you want it to be. In this era of fake news, truth can be what you want it to be. That can affect how we think of the Bible. And you can find prominent voices saying, look, the Bible isn't God's word to us. It isn't truth to us from God. It's more, it's more of a search, a, a, a man's search for God, really. It's not God-inspired. It's just the work of people written to, to express their search for God. So we can't use it to understand things like family or marriage or sex or or even what happens when we die. No, no, we need to find truth another way. That's what our our society can say. That's what prominent voices can say. Listen, that is like... Where's the microphone gone? That is like me saying this. Hello, Lynn. I want you to introduce yourself to me. Tell, Tell me your name. Lynn Gibson. And uh, uh, t- tell me about who you're married to. David Gibson, close to the piano. Uh, and how long have you been married? Uh, 32 years. Okay, and um, what do you like doing? Uh, what do you mean, generally? Generally, yeah. Generally. What hobbies have you got? Uh, do my family tree, uh, do some card making. Okay. Looking after the house. Very nice, very nice. Well, that's really nice, Lynn, but do you know what? I, I don't think... I, I'm not really kind of keen on it, that it's real truth. I think that's your... I think that's your search for truth in this world over the years. You know, I think, I think your name's Patricia and um, you, you're, I think you're married to a, a Finnish goat herder <laughs> called Sven for, for f- 15 years. And um, what you really like doing is um, uh, jumping out of planes. Do you know, it sounds, I know it sounds silly. It sounds a silly example, and it's meant to be in one sense. But it's what people do with the Bible. You know, that, that may be the picture of God in the Bible, but 
But I like to think of God as this. Listen, Paul says that is as dangerous as a wolf getting into a sheepfold. See, leaders help us to stay passionate for Jesus and devoted to him and his word. See, in one sense, we can all help each other do that. See, whether you're a leader or not, we can help one another and influence one another in our passion for Jesus. And it may be as simple as encouraging someone. It may just be as simple as saying, do you know what? I've seen the way you, you help serve in that. You know, thank you for doing that. You do that really well. And I see that you do it because you're passionate for Jesus. Maybe saying, you know, that thing you brought on Sunday morning was so helpful. And I can see you do it because you love Jesus and you're devoted to him. Hey, thank you for doing that. Okay, thirdly, keep your heart tender. So what do we find out about Paul? He says this, he served with great humility and with tears. It says for three years he had warned them to be on guard night and day with tears. It says they wept as elders and embraced him and kissed him. It says the elders were upset because they weren't going to see him again. See, some of us English guys are getting a little bit uncomfortable with all this, aren't we? There's a lot of emotion. It's a bit too much emotion for me. But actually, leadership is often a hard call. Whether that's leadership in the church, whether that's leadership in whatever sphere of life, in the home, in work, amongst friends. And often the message we hear in our society is, look, if you want to succeed in leadership, you've got to toughen up. You've got to emotionally detach yourselves from others. You've got to grow a hard heart. Else you're going to get squashed. Listen, that is not the message of Christianity. And here are two reasons why. One, because God is passionately tender-hearted towards us. Verse 28 says that um, leaders that leaders are to be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Your Bible might say, which he bought with the blood of his own. Scholars are unclear which is right. But whichever one it is, we, it's clear whose blood it is. It's Jesus' blood. It's talking about the cross. And Jesus giving his life for the church, for you and I. First to Jesus. To Jesus' sacrifice to redeem us back to God. That's how much you and I are loved. That's how much, that's how much God wanted to put us right with him. He gave his life. Listen, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, it's not, Christianity is not some kind of cold business transaction where God just does something out there. No, no, he, he came in the person of Jesus and gave his life for you and me. Because he's passionate about you and me. And you can receive him today. See, when Jesus faced opposition and difficult circumstances and people with multiple problems, he didn't, he didn't grow a hard heart. He didn't, he didn't kind of distance himself. Actually, no, what did he do? He had compassion. 
He had compassion on people. Yes, he stood his ground against religious leaders who were kind of uh, didn't get the idea. He stood his ground against them, but ultimately he wanted them to turn to him and accept him. And secondly, we're to be tender-hearted and compassionate because it makes us more the people that we're meant to be. Paul reminds us of the words of Jesus himself, although you won't find them written in any of the Gospels. It seems to be a saying that started to develop around the time, although we don't have it recorded in our um, accounts of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. We're to reflect God's love by giving of ourselves so that others can be built up and to be helped. Listen, don't grow emotionally cold to people, whether you're a leader or not. You might be thinking, though, well, how do I, how do, I do that and yet not get overwhelmed, yet not get treated like a doormat, yet not get emotionally drained? Well, the final point is the answer and will help protect us from that. Live in the good news of God's grace. So Paul's already said, I had a task. It was to go around and tell people of the good news of God's grace. And then he says, in verse 32, he says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. See, he knows that these leaders don't belong to him. They're God's. He won't see them again but he's convinced and knows in his heart that they're in God's hands. See, he knows his role as a leader isn't because he's something super special or that because God needs him or because he's doing something to get into God's good books to keep on God's side. No, no, it's grace, undeserved grace. Paul says this in, in, you find this in Philippians chapter 3. He, he says, you know, I'm, I'm really confident in God's love, Paul says. He says, I'm not confident in me and my abilities. If anyone was to be confident in their abilities, it would be me, he says. And he reels off these things that could make him confident in his own abilities and learning. But he says, do you know what? I count it all loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. I, I just count all that as just rubbish compared to knowing Jesus as my Lord. He says, that's the thing I live for. Listen, that's the same for any of us that serve or lead or influence. That means all of us. It's because of God's kindness that he uses you and I in his plans. not up to our cleverness which is a good thing really isn't it it's up to his grace that he chooses to use you and I see being a, being a leader influencing others isn't about doing something to earn something from God it's his way to advance the kingdom and using weak people like you and I to show his power it's amazing amazing grace. Perhaps, perhaps there are times when it gets 
really tough for you. When you just want to give up, why do I have to be a parent? When you feel drained, why do I have to lead? Oh God, I've got to lead this group. I've got to serve on kids' work this week. I just feel drained. When even when you're struggling in all that, to sin and temptation comes knocking. Listen, God's grace is there to strengthen you and I. It's there to remind us who we are in Christ. It's there to lift our eyes. Final Bible passage, Hebrews 4.13. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's because our great shepherd leader, Jesus, has made a way to the Heavenly Father through the cross that we can approach with confidence and find grace in our time of need. I want us to end by praying. I did say we would pray, so we're going to finish there. And I'd like the band just to come up, if that's okay, and the ministry team to be ready. But perhaps you are, perhaps this morning you are sensing a call to leadership in some kind of form. Or maybe you're sensing God calling you to step out in some kind of way. And you're thinking, can I do it? I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I've got it in me. The good news is, you haven't. But God's grace comes and meets you. And in his power, he uses you and I and sustains us. He says, come on, let's go on an adventure of grace in this thing that I've called you to. Perhaps you're a leader here, and like I said before, you're just thinking, do you know what? I'm drained. Do you know what? I feel I haven't got anything to give in this area. Hey, God wants to meet you in grace this morning and encourage you and build you up. Or perhaps you're just thinking, do you know what? I need to, I need to hear that thing about leading myself again. I, I, want, I want to know what it is to lead myself again and look after my walk with God. We want to pray for you too. So three areas. So, ministry team, please be very aware, ready, and move out to the sides. And we're going to, as we sing, just start to move if you want someone to pray with. But I'm going to pray for us generally, um, first off. Lord Jesus, we love you as our great shepherd leader. And we look to you. And we say, we thank you for all you've done in our lives and how you've made a way to the Father. And we want to ask, would you strengthen us in grace for the areas you've given us of influence, whether it might be in the home, whether it might be at school or college, whether it might be in leadership, in the church, or in our workplace, wherever it might be, would you strengthen us in grace for what you've called us to? That we would stay tender-hearted to you and to those you've given us responsibility for. Would you help us to watch ourselves and to look after our own life with you? Help us to hold on to truth firmly and to be passionate about following you. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing.